In the book, Change or Die, Alan Deutschman talks about the plight of those who are diagnosed with heart disease. And so the doctor will come and sit down with them and have a very clear, concise conversation saying something to this effect. If you don't change, you're going to die. If you don't begin to live a healthier lifestyle, it will lead to your demise. And it's a shocking conversation, right? And it should be a life-changing conversation. But listen to what Dr. Edward Miller, the dean of the medical school and CEO of John Hopkins University Hospital, listen to what he says. He says this. If you look at people after coronary artery bypass grafting two years later, 90% of them have not changed their lifestyle. And that's been studied over and over and over again. And so we're missing some link in there. Even though they know they have a very bad disease and they know they should change their lifestyle for whatever reason, they can't. So 90% of people facing death, 90% cannot sustain a change in healthy lifestyle. Essentially, they're saying this, they would rather die than change. That's what I call bondage. Doing what you do, even though you know that it will hurt you, though you desire a different lifestyle. What bondage did you bring into the house today? Let's call it issues, actually. That's, that's easier. That's more palatable, right? What issues, because we all got issues, right? What issues did you bring into the house today? Maybe you're the person who consistently turns to drink or drug to medicate those disappointments that you've had in your past. Maybe you're that person who, after food intake, goes to vomit it up in the bathroom. Maybe you're the person who uh, uses food anytime you have stress in your life. Or you're that guy who uh, consistently goes to pornography in the dark of your office or in the dark of your bedroom. Or maybe your issue is a little bit more hidden. Someone who is a slave to judgment of others or a slave to your own uh, perceptions or own expectations or a slave to television or a slave to laziness or maybe you turn to credit cards for some sort of release. But the fact is this, that all of us in this place have issues. Every single one of us bring our different issues into the house. Andy Stanley talks about the emotions behind those issues in his book, Enemies of the Heart, and he gives four emotions. He starts uh, with the emotion of guilt, which is I owe you. And then there's anger, which is you owe me. And then there's greed, which is I owe me. And then there's jealousy, which is God owes me. But all of these emotions, which is behind our action, each one of these emotions, they don't just hurt us if we live in those emotions. They can kill us. They can kill our relationships. And we know this, don't we? So the question is this, would you rather change or die? I ask this question. You know, who, who here has issues? And I know when I ask it, you know, you don't want to raise your hand. What do you want to do? You want to raise your neighbor's hand, right? <laughs> I'll tell you something about her. Let me tell. No, I'll tell you something about it. You got an hour? Because that'll give us 10% of the way there, right? Like, I have something to say about them. But we've got to be able to face our own issue. Freedom starts by naming your issue. All sin can be forgiven, but sin cannot be ignored. 
You cannot be forgiven for the sin that you ignored. It's those things that are hidden that have most power over us. I'm going to say that one more time. It's those things that are hidden that have most power over us. But do you know that God, he desires for you to have freedom today? This is a wonderful message. I love giving this message. This is a message of hope. He desires to bring freedom to you. You know, the good book, we think of it as a book of restrictions and rules, but all over that book is the idea that God wants freedom over your bondage, and he sends it through his son. In Christ, we have freedom. In Christ, we are made new. In Christ, we overcome in him. We are given freedom. It's the difference between what Pastor Mark would call the vicious cycle and the virtuous cycle. The virtuous, cy- the virtuous cycle is those healthy patterns. It's the good things. It's the God things. It's the spiritual disciplines. It's the fruits of the Spirit coming out of you. The vicious cycle is the opposite. It's the habitual sin. It's the addictions that come out. It's when bad goes to worse. John chapter 5. And will you stand for the reading of God's word, John chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 1. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate Pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed, one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been given in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. When I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat. And he walked. So gracious Father, I come to you now. And I pray, God, that I wouldn't share my words, but that we would be challenged by your word. God, I pray that you would, that you would forgive my tone, Lord. May there be no tone of judgment in this message. Because I give it knowing that I have been freed from bondage knowing that the grace of God has covered me and all my sins, so I don't give it out of judgment, but I give it out of God's grace today. I pray that we would know that you desire freedom over our issues, God. I pray at the same time that we would feel a little bit uncomfortable for those areas that we tolerate. I pray that this message would be a spiritual decongestant, that your spirit would flow through us And that you would challenge us not to tolerate those things that are destroying us from the inside out. So do your work, we pray. In Jesus' name, I ask these things. Amen. You can grab a seat. From bondage to freedom is the message that all of our campus pastors are giving this week at all of our locations. Three anchor points I want to talk about. Number one. Your issue is not your identity. Your issue is not your identity. 
we find our subject in this passage identified as the invalid. He's not given a name. He is quite, quite literally his issue is his identity. And so Jesus comes along and he asks him this question. Do you want to be healed? Do I want to be healed? What do you mean? Do, do I want to be healed? Like It sounds kind of like a taunting question, right? This is a ridiculous question, but he asks him this question because he knows that his issue is his identity. This is how he is known. This is where he gets his sympathy. In fact, he's given a seat by society, a specific place that is his to sit. And culture every day is expected to give him money. It's his job. It's his livelihood. It's his income. Quite li- This is his. I- and so when Jesus comes along and he asks him this question, do you want to be healed? What does he say? He doesn't say yes. He stammers and he stutters and he, and he starts giving excuses. Well, yeah, I mean, I, you know, I couldn't get, and this is why it couldn't happen, and this is why it won't happen. And, and it's a, you realize bondage is a mindset, isn't it? It, it? It's not physical fences around us. It's mental fences that we allow to be put up within our mind. And he wants to tear those things down. Bondage is, bondage is a, it's a losing streak that goes to a defeatist, a defeatist mentality that goes into self-talk. I, I can't do this. I'm not good. I don't deserve this. I'm too weak. I'm an alcoholic. I'm powerless. Bondage stemmed from a mindset originating back to the book of Leviticus. 1,400 years earlier, this mindset was started. And so there was sacrifice for every single sin that you could think of. And we find it in Leviticus 4, and we're not going to turn there, but, but I'll quickly run through them. So in Leviticus 4, it lays out all the sacrifices. It starts in verse 2. There's sacrifice for an individual within the community. There's sacrifice for the community as a whole. There's sacrifice for a leader within the community. There's sacrifice for an individual outside of the community. And on and on and on the list goes. And there's all, to the point where it's so normative and it happens with such frequency that it's actually the diet of the priests. That's what it says in Leviticus 6, 26. It says, the priest who offers it for sin shall eat it. So my question is this. How large did these priests get? How in charge were these priests constantly consuming? the? I mean, Nathan's hot dog contest, right? Like they would dominate. Maybe that's the wrong example. The pork thing is sumo wrestlers. They were the sumo wrestlers. They were the offensive linemen, okay, of their day. These, and imagine the poor trainer, the poor priest trainer that would show up that day and I, well, how'd you do on your eating today? I had five steaks for breakfast this morning. Are you kidding? You have five steaks, man. I had three of them because of you. What'd you do this weekend? <laughs> my fault. My bad. And so, by the way, did you guys know that yesterday was National Filet Day? Anybody? Can I get a witness? I, you know, I signed up for these Ruth Chris emails and thinking like I would get some discount steaks every once in a while. They don't give you discounts. They just taunt you with their emails. And they are, oh my, you should see these. And, the, and it comes to you and it's picture, but it's not just picture. It's like a, the steak sizzling and smoking. The video is embedded in the email and the smoke is swirling and looking at you and pull like a like a temptress trying to pull me in. It's it's food porn. I'm confessing right now. It's food porn. It's 
forgive me, God. And it's pulling and it's evil. And, and I thought, and it's national philatic. I got to go take part in this. Like, if some of you are like Old Testament believers, like, I'm actually helping you out by consuming the steak. It's sacrifice, right? And so, which leads to me to this question. If I were an Old Testament priest and we were Old Testament practice, how big would I be? For your sins, right? <laughs> how, many, how many steaks would I have to eat for your issues that you bring into the house? What was my point? No, seriously, what was my point? Bondage. I'm going to get there. Pull it in. Okay. Bondage became so routine. Bondage became so normal. Listen to this. Bondage became the expectation. Sin. It became that line, that expectation. It became tolerated. Has your issue become your expectation? Has your issue become your identity? What do you tolerate? Because what you tolerate will dominate. Psychologist Martin Seligman coined the phrase learned helplessness, and he did so in a 1967 study uh, at the University of Pennsylvania. And he took sets of dogs, and he put the dogs in harnesses, and he would give them this little, a little electric shock. And one of the dogs in the harness had this lever that they could press that would stop the shock. And the other dog had a lever that, that they could press that wouldn't stop it. And so, but then he would flip them. And when he did, here's what he found, that that dog who, uh, who, who couldn't do anything the first round, when they had a chance to get the, to stop the shock in the other position, they, would, they, they wouldn't even try. They wouldn't even do it. It was learned Helplessness. They would just lay down, they would whimper, and they would take it. What was it? It was them giving up, learning helplessness. It was them giving in. It was them releasing. Bondage is kind of a scary word. Issue is a little less scary because we all got issues. But maybe what we're talking about today is learned helplessness. Like, where is the area where you have learned helplessness, where you've just given up and you've given in? And here in our story, after 38 years, the invalid lives in learned helplessness. He's given up. He's given in. What are you tolerating today? What has become your identity? Proverbs 23, 7, as a man thinketh, so, is his, so he is within his heart. That's where his mind, but listen, you are who God says you are. Do you hear me today? You are his. You are adopted. You are made in his image. You are an overcomer. Do you believe that today? You are an overcomer in Christ. You are more than a conqueror. You are a son of the living God. You are a daughter of the king. You take nothing and you live in victory because he has brought the victory before you. You live for a God who has defeated death, who has defeated the sting of death, and now shares that victory. You are who God said you are. Step out of that defeatist mentality. Step into the mentality that he has called you 
to live in and called you to be in. Galatians 5, 1, it is for freedom that God has set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Number two, God is bigger than your bondage. God's bigger than your bondage. I hope that's not trite because it's key. The invalid comes along and he lived and learned helplessness, but God was bigger. The invalid was, he was trying to explain his impossibilities to a God who was trying to offer him possibilities. Like we were talking about it this week with campus pastor. I think it was Pastor Mark who, who said this. He said, you know, you can, you can either put your circumstances in between you and God, or you can put God in between you and your circumstances. Listen to this testimony from someone in Celebrate Recovery. I want to share this. It's a little long, but I think you're going to be encouraged by it. Listen to this. It says, hi, everyone. I'm a grateful believer in Jesus Christ who is overcoming issues of self-worth. My name is, and I'm not going to share a name. First of all, before I go in, this is a message right here. That was a message on identity right there. She started who she is in Christ, and then she was transparent about her issues, and then she stated who, how she was unique in who God made her to be. Take that home and forget the rest. I don't know. I'm going to keep going here. One of my earliest memories is of me being atop my first two-wheel big girl bike in the middle of the street in front of my house. The legend goes that after several cycles of falling, my mom asked me if I wanted to stop and try again another day. I exclaimed, no, I can do all things in Christ who strengthens me. <laughs> Quoting Philippians 4.13. I accepted Christ into my life at a young age. But somewhere along the way, I boiled Christianity down to a list of items that I should or should not do. I thought the less I needed Christ, the better Christian I was. Philippians 4.13 that I had so proudly boasted before was shortened to, I can do all things, period. On the outside, I maintained good grades, played varsity sports, and always made the right decision. Inside, I craved for a sense of belonging, approval, and love that I couldn't quite seem to work hard enough to get. By the time I was in college, I turned to sex and food to fill my emotional and spiritual voids. I would act out to hide feelings of inadequacy, loneliness, rejection. The fall of 2013, I found Celebrate Recovery in the NCC small group listing. I attended regularly, but quite honestly, I still wasn't sold that I couldn't break these habits on my own. Remember, I can do all things. I still hadn't learned my lesson. Plagued with guilt and shame, each time I gave in, I turned back to my old comfortable habits. It wasn't until my world crumbled a bit more that things changed. I decided then that my pain had finally outgrown my fear. I refused to try to drown out my pain with sex or food as I had done so easily through my life. Instead, I pressed into a community of women in CR and I clung to the word of God. I held on tightly onto Proverbs 3, 5, trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and repeated it again and again and again. Today, with one year and 24 days of sobriety, I am fully convinced that it was God that has carried me. Believe me, if I could have done it myself, I would have. I'm learning to no longer look for a temporary things to satisfy me. I'm learning to no longer look 
for temporary things to satisfy me. I'm reminded of God's word. His word proclaims that I am loved, his precious, honored, redeemed, summoned by name, chosen, wonderfully made, surrounded with never-ending love, and that he satisfies my desires with good things. It is my prayer that you truly believe this for yourself as well. Most of us underestimate our issues. Or we underestimate our power to overcome those issues. But she had come to the realization that her bondage was bigger than her. But her God, come on, finish it for me. But her God was bigger than her bondage. Some of you are here today and you say what she said. I can do all things. I'm in control. I got this. And I'm going to give you the question that my buddy Rich asked me all the time and asked others. He said, how's that working for you? No, seriously, how's that working for you? Do you overcome all your issues? Are you good to go? Are you still trying to control those things? Are you still trying to control those issues and that bondage? Faith is not about what you achieve. It's about what you believe. Faith is, is not a possession. It's, it's, a, it's a muscle to be flexed. It's not found in a single moment, but it's lived in every single moment. God desires faith. Freedom for you. Lean into him. Number three. First, your issue is not your identity. Second, God is bigger than your bondage. But third, focus on the process. Focus on the process. Process focuses on being made. None of us have it all right. But we're striving towards sanctification. What is sanctification? It's being made holy. That's what it says in, uh, in Hebrews 10. Verse 14, it says, For by one sacrifice he has made perfect forever, listen to this, those who are being made holy. <coughs> Excuse me. Made perfect forever. I love these two phrases. Those who are being made holy. He brings perfection to the game, but he knows we are not perfect in our own right. We are still being made Holy, it is a process. I believe that God can, he can instantly deliver us from our bondage. But I also believe that oftentimes he chooses to use process to take us through our bondage. So you can be delivered from and you can be, liver, be delivered through, right? From, from is plucked out, but delivered through, sometimes you are taken through those painful things. Sometimes you are taken through those circumstances, and those hard moments. But God is delivering you in the midst of those things. Any deliverance God brings has to be backed up with discipline. Right? He, he, pulled, he delivers you. But it's got to be backed up. It's got to be followed up with a response. It's just like the story that we started with. Right? The surgeon can come along and he can give the gift of deliverance for that person with heart disease. He can do that surgery and give them freedom. But if it's not followed up with discipline... What happens? Freedom goes to bondage. For us, we want God to do it all. And, and what do we do? We either say, okay, God's going to do it all. I'm just going to sit back and do nothing. Or we say, no, I'm going to do it all. And God, you're going to do nothing. No, God comes and he delivers us. He gives us freedom. But it has to be followed with a response of discipline and of seeking and of focus on Almighty God. It was a process that, you got, that got you into bondage. And it might be a process that gets you out of bondage. 
So how do we step forward towards him? What do we do? Like, have you tried that thing and maybe you tried it 127 times and it hasn't worked yet? Okay, I'll try it one. No, maybe it's trying something new. So I want to give you four quick ideas today. Four quick ideas. A, interrupt the pattern. Interrupt the pattern. Milton Erickson, a brilliant psychologist, talks about unique ways of interrupting the pattern. And uh, I can't remember we've talked about this before, but it's kind of fun. You know, for an alcoholic, you can actually, you can still have a drink, but you need to walk to the bar. And that bar is going to be on the other side of town. So if you walk to get your drink, you're going to be in better shape by the time you have a drink than if you didn't. It's interrupting the pattern. For the married couple who is constantly fighting, okay, you can fight, but you've got to do it in the shower fully clothed. Right? Like, it's ridiculous. And the key is fully clothed, right? Like, if it's the opposite, you know, you'll be fighting all day. You know? It's, like, all right. I, get back on track. Cut that out. Fully clothed in the shower. It's so ridiculous that you're in the midst of that and you realize, okay, that we don't need to be fighting about this. It's interrupting the pattern. Where do you need to interrupt the pattern in your issue? How do you need to take a different angle? I've done this a number of different ways with different things in my life. I've gone through different seasons where I could only consume the amount of desserts for the amount of time that I exercised in a week. A lot of exercise going on those weeks. <laughs> or I couldn't consume any media until I had first consumed God's word read his word. But how do you need to come at this a different angle and interrupt the pattern? Second thing, or B, confess your issue. I don't mean in your mind. I mean scripture style. Confess with your mouth. You need to confess with your mouth your sins. You need to, to say out loud to a friend your sins. We see in the scripture that when we confess our sins to God, we are forgiven. When we confess our sins to our brother or sister, we are healed. And that's scripture. 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sins, and he is faithful and just to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. James 5, 16. Confess one to another, and you will be healed. There's a power that comes in the confession of sins. And we see the verb, and it's not just a one-time confession. It's a continuous verb, meaning you need to confess over and over and over again. Like when you see AA meetings, they don't just happen once, and then you're good to go. Then you're released. AA meetings happen week after week. There's a consistency. What's your takeaway from this? Maybe you need to sit down with a brother and sister and begin to meet with them regularly. Maybe you need to go to a counselor and start seeing a counselor regularly. You need to join a small group or join a support group, but step out and begin to confess. See, the third thing, get on your knees and get in the word. Get on your knees and get in the word. My dad used to say this. He said, no amount of laying on of hands will replace getting on your knees. What's he saying? He's saying, don't try to lean on others to do the dirty spiritual work because God wants you to build that relationship. He wants you to cultivate that, cultivate that relationship. God desires, God is looking for sons and daughters, not tagalongs. He wants to build a relationship with you and bring you into the fold of freedom. 
By the way, there's a difference between freedom from something and freedom to do and to be something. Example, let's say I'm in deep financial debt. I can get on a program and over a couple months or a couple of years, I can pull out of that. I can go from the red to the black. Now, when I do that, I have attained financial freedom. But is financial freedom, is that true freedom? Going to the black or balancing your budget, does that mean I've attained true freedom? If our heart remains unchanged, if our heart remains unchanged, we have simply transferred our vice from instant gratification to greed. God wants your heart. In fact, he compares the heart to a tree in Matthew chapter 7, verse 17 and 18. He says, every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. The source of our actions is our heart. If the tree is rotten, it will produce rotten fruit. It's good to balance the budget, but that's treating the symptoms rather than dealing with the disease within us. God desires to come and to do a heart transplant within you. How does that happen? He comes and he does something, and he gives his son. And the heart is dependent on what? It's dependent on the inflow and the outflow of blood. And so what does Jesus do? He gives us a blood transfusion. And he, and he gives us his lifeblood so that we can be made new. And the Holy Spirit comes, and he gives us a new heart. And he transforms us from the inside out. And we become new in Christ. How do you get there? Get on your knees. Get in the word. Seek him. I know my sarcastic jabs, they were merely fruit. They were a result of the insecurities within my heart. But when I got on my knees, when I got in the word, I can testify to this right here. When I got on my knees, God began to purge those things and open my eyes up to things that I would have never seen before. He opened up my eyes. He opened up my ears. He opened up my heart to see as he see things. He desires to give you a new heart. Get on your knees. Get in his word. John 8, 36, if the son makes you free, then what? You will be free indeed. If the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. But we walk around saying, oh, the Son has set me free. Well, go ahead and be free indeed then. Come on. No, you're sitting back. He desires for you to walk, for you to live in freedom. Last thing, and I'll end with this. It starts with prayer and praise. For many of us, Jesus has opened up the door of the prison cell. But we sit there inside of the cell looking out. He's opened up the prison cell, but we stay in bondage. We stay in our chains. Get up. Walk out. We are free indeed. It's a couple uh, ladies who attend Barracks Row, and they were eating over at Ted's Bulletin, and, and uh, they were having a deep-level conversation, and they were in confession. They were sharing with one another, and they were talking about uh, deep hurt and bondage, and they were talking about recent abuse in their life. And as they were doing, they, they started to come to the conclusion, we need to, we need to probably do something in, this, in the future. 
And they felt like, we need to talk to, to Pastor Joel. We need to talk to him about this sometime in the future. And right as they said that, I go running by the window. <laughs> Wait, was, was, that, was that Pastor Joel? Just ran, ran by. Y'all had one of those mornings, you know, where uh, you're at work and then you get a call from the kids' school and you got to run over there. And then you got to run back and get to that meeting. And so I'm late. So I'm booking it. I'm huffing. I'm running outside to Staff Chapel uh, right when they have this conversation. They see me run by. So they stood up and they started running after me. <laughs> they didn't catch me. But I came in to the theater for Staff Chapel and they followed me in. They walked in and they didn't walk in and start talking to me. They walked in to prayer and praise happening in this house. Our staff was praising God. Chris was leading in worship. And they, and they began to praise God. And that morning, the Lord did something in them and began to deliver them. And I shared a devotional that day. And it was about, don't stand on the sidelines, Peter, just looking at Jesus for entertainment value because there's no personal benefit. But come in close. That was the message come in close. And they came in close that day. And we had a prayer that morning. And it began a process of setting free. And they are being set free from bondage and issues. And God has been doing a good work over many months now. But you know what? Deliverance began that day because of what? Because of prayer and because of praise. God started something new in that. And now you know what? They meet every day to talk about the scripture that they are reading. And God's doing a new thing. And the process was started, but they then stepped into discipline. Remember in Acts 16, Paul and Silas are in prison. And they're sitting in their prison cell. Remember what they did? They begin to pray and praise the name of the Lord. My prayer for you today is that this morning, as we step into praise that you would stand up, that you would step out, that you would begin to walk towards the Spirit of the Lord and that he would set you free, that he would deliver you from, that bondage would be stand up upon and that God would do something new in your soul. So we're going to go ahead and do that right now. We're going to put this into practice. Amen. Will you stand with me? And we're going to go right into worship. Now, just as those two ladies, they saw opportunity. It was in the form of a running pastor. Opportunity ran by. What did they do? They stood up, they stepped out, and they walked. They stepped towards the Holy Spirit, towards praise that day. And I wonder if that's you today, that you need to interrupt your pattern. And for some of you, that's standing up, that's stepping out, that's coming down to an altar and beginning to praise God with your whole heart. we got to interrupt the pattern. So I want to invite our prayer partners to come. And I want to ask you guys, that you know what, just lead the way. Let's go ahead and prayer partners, you get on your knees down here. And let's begin to pray into this altar. And if you want to step out today and just come down and seek the Lord in this altar, that's simply taking a step towards God and praising Him. So we're going to do that right now. And I'm just going to pray that that the Lord would interrupt the pattern, that he would do something, that you would confess today, that you would realize and separate yourself 
from your identity, from your issue, that you would understand that God is bigger and that you would begin a process of sanctification. Let's pray and then we praise. God, we give you glory. We pray that your work would be done. We know that no change occurs, that no bondage is defeated, that no issue becomes the past unless the Holy Spirit comes and does your work. But we also know that you ask faith of us. And faith comes sometimes in the form of stepping out, sometimes in the form of lifting up a hand, sometimes in the form of beginning to pray. So we do that right now out of obedience unto you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.